All right. Hello and welcome to the Adnan Podcast, the podcast so, of the user group. On that, on that host, note that you're just doing, <laughs> I'm going to try something a bit weird. February 2018 um, meeting, ASP.net. Well, and type obviously, David says that the, uh, the bar is going to be good. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to be in the back of the room. Um, I'm going to just quickly take a photo. Feel free to, I don't know, stick your middle finger up. Get the people to sleep. Uh, you can turn around, you can turn on not. Um, I'll let you know when I'm about to take a photo. Okay, 
using spas, using these kind of patterns, what's, what's the use case and are we just following trends or um, are we finding the proper use for them? So that kind of led me to kind of start thinking about use cases um, because we've seen the complexity that, that arises when you get really large scale spas um, and we've also kind of seen the complexity where you've got the flip side where you've got you sort of rendered up. Um, so are spas the answer to all our problems? No, of course not. Uh, it's all about use case. And it depends, right? So I uh, will talk about spa. I also talk about um, so single page app, multi page app. Um, I'll kind of clear that up in a second, but uh, really there's kind of buzzwords, right? Um, and that'll be a bit clearer in the next slide. So a lot of the front end architecture, talking about spa, we're talking about these big frameworks like Angular, um, React, Vue, etc. Now, technically, you like, it's always a sliding scale. You don't have to use these things to create these big single page apps, but for a lot of the patterns, etc., um, that's kind of how it ends up. So uh, just kind of disregard that, that you can pull these things down to smaller, but it's definitely a possibility. So, so yeah, can you just expand on that? What do you really mean by that? Uh, so I kind of I kind of referenced it a bit in, in, in a little bit, but so things like Angular, for instance, um, a lot of the common patterns, the way of using it, is using it as a as a large single page app. So where you essentially kind of have one index HTML, and then from there JavaScript does a client side render. Um, I'll go to the next slide and then just ask me if that still doesn't make sense. Cool. Because yeah, I'd love to go over it. So, and also thinking about um, so we've been using uh, .NET for all our APIs um, and a bit of ASP.NET stuff. And for whatever reason, I feel like uh, Microsoft seems to push an Angular MVC pattern. And I think that's because of the Angular 1 MVC pattern, um, or at least in the templates I've used. Um, I think I think it was very good for Angular 1. Going to the next Angular, slightly different. Um, and really, I don't, I don't know if that use case kind of justifies the way it's put together. But anyway, really, what what's the kind of range we're talking about here with single-page apps, multi-page apps, um, et cetera? So when we're talking about this, um, I'm going to kind of flip it into the frame of our scale of when we're rendering things or where we're rendering things. So technically it's a kind of a sliding scale, like I said. Um, nothing always fits into a box completely, but just ignore that for a moment and we'll expect that's the way. So and what I'm talking about here, I'm talking about CSR, which is client-side render. So a single page app, uh, you kind of get a whole bunch of JavaScript and stuff, push it over the client. That, that JavaScript internally has templates and things like that, so it's rendering itself out in the client. Um, kind of the converse, the other side of that is the server-side render, which is SSR, and we'll chat about that in a sec. So, uh, sorry about that. Oh, no, just scratching your head, okay. <laughs> um, another interesting thing between, when we go between the scale is, is managing the state of the UI and uh, how that kind of relates. So, the client side is kind of what I've been talking about, where we have a kind of traditional single page app throw a bunch of JavaScript, render it in the client. Um, this is really handy in a bunch of use cases, like for instance, you know, we have like a progressive web app or um, where you think it's like we're using uh, React Native, etc. You, you can kind of um, create essentially an app, which is what you're doing. So, you, But you can change, take that app and, and create a basically native experience from it. So if we kind of progress down that, this kind of rendering path a little bit. We get to a little kind of gray area, which I'm called mini single page app. Um, and that's where 
okay, in this first instance, we've got this entire page, things like routing, etc. Um, the, the page skeleton uh, are all controlled by just one piece of single, not a server, a piece of single JavaScript. Minispar is where you might have something on a page which is kind of self-contained and, and an app in itself, but it doesn't go quite as deep as a single page app, and it's kind of like a small differentiation. Um, but a good example of this might be something like kind of a highly interactive map or something like that. So there's essentially kind of widgets on steroids. Um, but the difference being in the mini app, we have the page skeleton, etc., and routing controlled elsewhere. So the next next kind of sliding scale we have is web components. So I'll chat a bit more about web components um, later on. But basically, uh, when you've got kind of small pieces of interactivity, <coughs> and but you need those those things might render themselves, but um, you don't necessarily have this, this kind of larger coordinated app. Um, this could be as small as, uh, for instance, like a, a little profile tab or something that has like a picture in your name and a contact email or something like that. So they they can still compose multiple components, so you can kind of get web components and start building up that way. But uh, we're kind of leaving the general idea of web components in the middle as far as rendering and interactivity goes. Step down again, and we've got line interaction. So this is where I'm talking about um, you kind of, I guess, what you might traditionally find a bit more. So uh, direct DOM manipulation, event listeners, uh, your things, kind of a lot of the stuff that jQuery provides. Um, ideally, you're kind of in that realm and you don't really have much scope. It's mainly about presentation and maybe some light syntactic kind of, um, oh, I might post a form back or something, but you're not trying to get too deep into anything. And the final end of the scale is the server-side render, which for our purposes, saying multi-page app, um, that's where a server renders the entire HTML styles, but that line interaction piece is where you actually get, um, I guess, kind of a slight bit of state and things happening. When we're talking purely server-side rendering, um, that's where we've just got some HTML, some CSS, so something like a, a promotion page or something for your app or a website. Um, like I said, nothing's ever going to kind of purely fit into any of these boxes. So, ASNF sits on the end there, and something like Angular sits on the other side. And when you're in either side of these, things are quite easy and quite nice, uh, because generally the, the, the frameworks are built to handle that. So, ASNF does a bit on the right really, really well. Uh, Angular does a bit on the left pretty well. Things like React, etc., do as well. But they can also bleed into the middle. So, does that kind of answer where I come from then? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Maybe. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Okay, all right, possible answer. All right, cool. All right, cool. Uh, so, kind of getting back to how can we start describing the, the kind of sliding scale rendering interaction and how can I, how can we handle different use cases that, that need to represent that? Um, how do we build like a repeatable architecture? So okay, you can look at something and say, this is the general pattern we're going to use for this. Um, this is the general pattern we're going to use for that. Uh, this kind of you know, helps with our consistency. You've got a team project, get it, it's great to say, look, general, we'll start this page here. But the other thing is as well, our use cases might change and our entire app might change, so we don't want to lock ourselves into any one part of that at any stage. Um, sorry, overall, lock ourselves into any part of that. We want to be able to ideally move between those as within our app as our use case requires. 
but also once we've done something, then move beyond into a different use case or change the use case and be able to move between these different architectures. So the way I've split it out is got an architecture which is an app, um, highly interactive client, may use its own routing, um, but essentially we're going to still wrap that page skeleton, so we, we're going to control the outer, the outer part of that. Um, because we're doing that, you can kind of pre-render and do some other cool things with your app, but uh, essentially it's still not intended to be incredibly deep, at least in this kind of model I'm talking about. So the idea is we try and keep things as flat as possible, but you will still need this, right? So again, the sliding scale to mini apps pretty kind of pretty grey. Um, it's very similar to the app, but it's just kind of smaller in scope. So the general idea is that the mini part of your page that is essentially like a tiny app. Um, and then outside of that, you've got other things. So something like, like I said before, maybe you have like a little map uh, widget type thing, and that, that's what you need with, um, with a fair amount of interactability, but it doesn't actually kind of do lots in as far as the state of your page. So the next part is my favorite, and I've called it sprinkles. So. Um, that's when you just uh, was talking about that kind of web component light interaction area, uh, where you need small bits of interaction um, and you want to do the repeatable UI, but you don't want to go the full hog of creating um, some kind of app-like structure. But you still have that. You still have the freedom to start composing from there. So you generally kind of talk about web components there, really. And the last one is a static. So I'm I'm just going to put light interaction with static. So um, we can kind of, any page can be static and that's just, you know, maybe I click on something and something else animates or I click somewhere and something else appears or I navigate, that kind of thing. So, back to my quest. How can I create a pattern which supports all these various architectures, right? And, and be able to move, them, move between them quite freely. Um, also, ideally, how can we do this in a fairly agnostic frameworkless way. So um, we're kind of committed to ASP.NET, so we do have a framework, but um, how can we avoid as much as possible and try and keep it as vanilla as possible? So at the very least, our overarching architecture is quite agnostic and vanilla. So one pattern to rule them all. Um, probably, if there was like an eye of Sauron kind of emoji, throw that in there, uh, but I don't know, maybe there is. I just didn't look. So, what's our pattern? Whoa! I've seen it in TypeScript, right? That's what you hear. Well, at least that's what it said on the box, I hope. <laughs> I hope you don't mind those two things and me talking about it, because otherwise we're in a bit of trouble. So, um, as you'll learn by IRC30, uh, how do we implement this? So, kind of what, what patterns do we want to look at? And so the two parts of this is kind of the pattern part and then my implementation of that. They're kind of slightly linked, but um, just as you're looking through it, uh, you can hate my code, no problem, but evaluate the pattern as well. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So, let's jump back, let's look at the architecture. We want to see how we're doing this. Let's discuss the static part, right? We'll start at the, the very beginning. So just as a reminder, our static architecture, um, or subside rendering, a little bit of interaction, um, we're not going for huge amounts of client-side state or anything like that. Well, not really any client-side state or anything. Um, and you, we can use kind of things like jQuery, etc. So, 
I've got a slight detour here. Um, I want to preface this with a disclaimer. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this is, I don't know if going to be stretching it. That's why I don't want to. I don't want to put my helmet. Um, so I just want to preface this with a disclaimer. Um, I'm not trying to sell anyone away from jQuery. It's not, it's not the intention of this. Um, what I'm trying to show is uh, basically uh, jQuery's use case as well, right? Because we're looking at frameworks and do we need them? That's another utility library. So jQuery did an awesome job. Uh, you know, brought browser compatibilities. Um, it also brought a lot of APIs that browsers should have had. In fact, it did such a good job that essentially the browsers copied their API. So I'm just going to show you a couple of ways you can do the jQuery part in native. And the only reason I'm showing that is because uh, I've implemented another part which kind of uses some native beats, and I just want to kind of relate those. But again, disclaimer, jQuery, um, as long as you're aware of the costs, you, you, I don't know, 70, 80 kilobytes of JS you're putting over the wire. Um, sorry, to the browser. Um, all cool. So, jQuery, we can query an element, right? We can actually do the same thing in native, right? Same time. Cool. So, in jQuery, we need to add remove classes, pretty basic. We want to be able to do those kind of things just to muck around with our DOM. Same deal with native. And that's the two of them. So, we can also handle events quite nicely in jQuery. And, surprise, surprise, you've got kind of helper, helper event handlers in native as well as just simply adding an event listener. So if you're kind of only doing those couple of things with jQuery, maybe think about it, but there are some other nice utilities to give you, so. But, end of the day, doesn't matter. Um, I'll show you, I'm doing vanilla as my base, but use whatever gives you the most productivity, especially here, right? So, we're using TypeScript. Why types? Wow. Um, that's my confetti over. So my quote is gone. Don't worry, guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, types is a pretty good reason, right? Um, why? Again, types. Uh, it's also syntactically quite similar to C Sharp. Um, TypeScript kind of came from a Microsoft stable. Um, if you look at an async await TypeScript, it looks very similar to async await C Sharp. Um, in fact, the JS async await looks very similar. But anyway. Um, IDE and tooling is great. Uh, kind of handles a bunch of compile options for you, so you don't have to muck around as much with the Webpack config if you don't want to. Um, kind of provides things like decorators, which I'll explain both in a sec, but quite like. Um, but there is some downsides to it, right? It's still it's still JavaScript. At the, it's a superset of JavaScript, but it does compile down to JavaScript, right? So you're only getting compile time type checking. You, you still get oddities that run time from your JavaScript, and that's just kind of the way it, but... Um, you know, you kind of don't expect the same kind of static typing you might get in something like C Sharp. Uh, personally, anecdotally, I think it's pretty much essential in anything that's beyond a small website um, and using in Teams. Um, you just, yeah, even if you start typing things, I think it's amazing. So, I talked about TypeScript with decorators. <laughs> Again, I'm in a slight interlude here with the jQuery. Uh, TypeScript kind of matches it. Uh, I just want to show you this because I just want to show you there's not really... Not, there's not much magic happening here. It's just I've used these things called decorators. Um, it's just it's important because my examples use them a lot. So it's just kind of as long as you can kind of read it and have a 
brief idea that that's just a, a, a function doing something. It's very it's basically it's very similar to an attribute in C sharp, right? So I quite like it declarative. So we had those examples before about querying for an element, I'm doing the same thing here, just using a decorator, right? So this logo element uh, got a part. That's cool. Um, we're just saying query for this element. That is now that element. Boom. So, how? What is that query decorator? All it is is really just a function, uh, kind of wrapping the thing we put on top, replacing the getter. So, in the getter here, select, do the document query selector. All cool. We've got our element, and then we just replace the target thing it's on with that getter. So. Not doing anything particularly magic. It's just kind of a little bit of a wrapper. Uh, I quite like it. It's quite declarative, um, but you know, don't necessarily have to use it. But then, I mean, when you're using that variable, um, that's going through that code each time, or just do the one-off? Um, it's a yeah. It does a it does it at a, a compile time, so it's just kind of it's doing a replacement of that getter. Oh, so the it's got, sorry, it's doing a wrapper around it, right. so that when you, um, when you call it, right. you replace that again. That makes sense. Because they, they this is happening within a class, which is probably the context you're not miss, you're missing. Sorry, there's, a, there's an extra bit there, but anyway. Sorry. That's TypeScript, that's half the presentation. Right. Um, the other half, hopefully net. Uh, so I'm using .NET Core, uh, Razor Pages. Razor Pages. Um, if I had that kind of like horror music dun, dun, dun kind of thing, I'd play it for you. Um, I don't know, many people here use the Razor Pages and mucked around with them. Cool, probably not more knowledgeable than me. Um, it kind of just wrap around the NBC stuff, really. Um, I'm not. Not really going to go into Razor Pages, probably because I don't really have the knowledge to be able to teach you guys much, to be honest, on Razor Pages. But I just wanted to kind of um, make aware that that's what I'm using. Got some cool things like tag helpers, etc., um, that are quite nice. Where at least I'd like to not use them. So back to what we're actually looking at, which is the architecture for a static. So direct DOM manipulation, doing some events, querying an element change his class, that kind of thing. So I needed kind of a way to demo this. So I created a pizza shop. Um, for whatever reason, Josh, that works in one of the sister companies, put that together, that's uh, me making a pizza. Um, <laughs> so this is, the uh, this is well, both of these things are on GitHub if you really want to look at my presentation. Um, but this code is on GitHub, so you can uh, grab it and abuse it. Okay, cool. So, really simple. Um, got ASP.NET, throwing out a page, right? So we're doing a full round trip for each of our pages. Um, we're not doing any star magic in between. Uh, for whatever reason, the use case of this page, uh, we need to select an element and make it rumble. Cool, out of this world, right? So, um, Lego took me too long to do. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's kind of our example of a kind of static light interaction piece. Oh, 
Hello. Wouldn't be a demo without something going wrong, right? That's true. That was very weird. Anyway, cool. So, so, like I said, I'm not diving too much into the race page stuff, but I just want to kind of frame a bit this so you hopefully understand a bit of the pattern that I've got going on. Um, what we're doing is I'm using the rate page, the, the, I'm using the CSHML, I'll show the model in a sec, um, to provide the layout, and I guess basically our page skeleton of what's going on. Um, I don't think there's really a huge difference between the rate of pages and uh, an MVCU, right? So I'm using a tag helper here, and you can kind of just abstract out of the way and say tag helper is getting one of the model values and setting the initial state so the client can pick that up. Um, we'll talk about that, I'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to a bit more of kind of interconnecting these interactions. Um, Alrighty, uh, another example, we're just using some tag helpers to um, throw in some scripts and styles, so like a JS and a CSS file, um, and the final piece, we're just using a partial to actually display some stuff. So. Um, I come from doing, so my bias is always front end, um, and then, you know, you've always got to understand your bias, so uh, in that sense, I will try and encapsulate component size. So what I've done here is, ideally, I try and keep my page CSHTML quite lean. All it's doing is essentially providing layout, and then I'm using things like partials, um, and then later we'll talk about components to essentially kind of encapsulate pieces of state. So it's a bit more declarative that way, I just say, uh, that's a logo. So all that is just an image, and well, it's actually an SVG, but wait. Cool, so let's have a look at the model that kind of sits behind that template, right? Um, with, you know, nothing out of this world, setting a couple of variables to be able to throw on the model. Uh, this is the initial state. So um, it'll be important in a sec when I talk back and back other client stuff. Um, but basically it's just some JSON we, we throw into the page, nothing revolutionary there, right? Uh, we DI some services, because DI is fun. And then we've got this kind of on get handler, which in the Razor pages just gets called when you uh, call that page. So we can use it to kind of set up our scene. Um, in this sense, we're uh, going away to our database, mock database, to retrieve some stuff and then essentially just slapping it in a JSON object uh, for the initial state, which using the tag helper just gets thrown into the, uh, the client side. Razors. So we've kind of got our, our razor page. Uh, what I've essentially done is mirrored that with a TypeScript page path. Uh, so what we've got here is a one-to-one. -one. So kind of think of it as maybe the controller of the client side. Um, you might not even need this for half the pages, uh, but, but so for instance, I'll, I would still do some of the querying using one of these page classes, and that's kind of the pattern I've chosen, but which is otherwise. So uh, we define our page class, just ignore that decorator on the top, which is injectable. I'll talk about that afterwards. Um, as we showed before, we just want to query and say, give me that element, and that's the property of that class, and then we can use it. Um, in this case, we're grabbing that logo element, so this is the page class 
for the demo that I just showed you. So what we can do as well, just create a little, another little decorator which is basically setting an event listener for something. And uh, any time we get that event, we run this function and the event gets passed as the argument. So in this case, we've already got our elements up the top, kind of declaratively, and we can say, add a class, do a timeout, remove the class, and that's how we do our little rumble effect in CSS. So that's kind of an example of you know, something really simple you might do. And we just all have, also have a page initializer because we do have a class that's just got to new it up. Um, but I'll, again, talk about why that's there in a little bit. So, kind of getting all of the pieces together. Um, I hope this really simple <laughs> diagram helps illustrate what we've going on here. Uh, we've got basically our server side with our page, and that goes into kind of a, a Razor template, which is, is our base layout. And then from there, we've got a TypeScript class, which manages it on the client side. So, a bit more complicated, time for sprinkles. Um, so, what we want to do is start componentizing parts of our UI, or at least encapsulating some of the smaller interactions, or, or providing repeatable UI elements. So, um, you know, ideally, in a perfect world, you can build this kind of uh, design library where you've got uh, all different kinds of UI componentry, and you're able to move them between projects, etc. What this really means is web components. So, um, in our demo page here, if we go into our page here, ooh, contrast that. Um, these pieces here are just all little components because uh, basically they're like a nice repeatable UI element. Um, they can this greater page doesn't actually need to worry itself about how these things handle themselves or render or lay, out, lay them, sorry, how they internally lay themselves out. Um, so we've created them into components. Um, we'll get to that later, but the biggest problem today is interrelating those components. So just a reminder, I've named the sprinkles. We've got small component-based interactivity. So these things are slightly more encapsulated than that, that static stuff we saw, which is um, where we've just got those components handling their own interactivity and functionality. And again, um, here's a slight distinction between this and then going to the left where we're building apps. Uh, on, and honestly, the biggest jump really is going from what we just showed, where we're creating an element and adding classes, to this next stage where we've got components and we're uh, pumping state into them essentially. So, web components. Um, web components are actually a native browser thing for the most part. Uh, you probably go about 12 months back before they figured some problems, but anyway, there's polyfills. Um, so, they are a base building block now of what you can do in a browser. So when I say web components, it's interchangeable uh, with custom element. And what I'm talking about there is, uh, for instance, say like select drop down, 
that's a HTML element, right? So a custom element is just the same thing, really. It's just operating on the same APIs. Now, because they're intended as building blocks, web components, natively, uh, a lot of their, their operations aren't as nice to deal with. They're not intended to be framework pieces. They're intended as a base building block. So um, I've, I've kind of jiggled in there a little bit with my frameworkless approach, but I'm using something called lit element to be able to put these together. Basically, it's just a nice little wrapper that um, does things like, for instance, the native web component, all the attributes come through with strings. So if you put an object in there, you need to deserialize it, whereas in using lit element, you can kind of abstract that away. So as an example, if I bring this up and can drive it from where I am, this bit here, so that's, this is a custom element. So, um, so you've got PGP element, pizza order card, and then I'm just setting the attributes on it, right? So, it's pretty cool. It's a base element. Um, that means because of that, I can just, you know, set one of its properties to 99. You can start muck around with them, and it's pretty easy. So you don't have those abstraction layers that you've got in if you're using uh, one of those bigger things like Vue, um, React, Angular, etc. Try try grabbing something out of the DOM and Angular and actually just base manipulating it. It's a bit of a pain. Um, you also internal to that component. So this is the see the shadow root bit. That's exactly the same as if you were looking at like a select element or something like that. Um, They've got, they've got the same structure when you actually look at it up in the dev tool. So um, I'll show you in a sec, but basically this item here has its own template and has its own styles. And that's all encapsulated. So that element that I was just showing in the dev tools, this is kind of code that sits behind it. So we need to define our custom element. Um, you've got a couple of ways of doing it, but I'm using the, again, decorator out. So what we're basically saying is, this thing's a custom element, this is its selector, and that will handle defining it. So you can natively do it, it's just kind of a um, dot define element, and you give it a class that extends HTML element and a selector. So. Um, you can really easily build the, the base ones yourself, but it's nice to have just a small wrap around it, which is exactly what lit element does. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so it gives you nice things like that. Uh, there's a non-decorator way of doing it in, with lit element as well. Um, same with this next bit that I'll show you. You can also do it. Lit element works and it's just pure, uh, pure JS. Um, yeah. Don't need to compile it. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like jQuery, it's more like a library as opposed to we're actually using anything. Um, so as I was talking about before, attributes, right? So if, uh, two things. We need to know when our attributes change and handle that. So, um, and we also need to deserialize them. So uh, in this case, um, I've got that attribute which was uh, pizza, and it's a, I tell it's a type object and that, that handles the deserialization for me. Um, and that's, enough, that's something that Leo was doing for me. So. Similarly, that uh, amount that I set, uh, again, it's just an attribute, 
I've defined here that it's a property. That way it gets reflected back out as an attribute properly um, and gets converted into a number because I've defined that there. So next part is this little component has its own template as well, right? So all it's doing is returning some HTML. Um, and it's, this is pretty cool actually because it, it's got a, if you're going to kind of change the textual stuff, which I try and get into, um, the way this works is actually really cool. So what this is doing is binding the values of our element into our template so they're always up to date. So we've got encapsulated styles. Encapsulating styles is a huge thing. Um, it's all, being able to encapsulate styles is great for quite a few reasons, apart from just being able to write whatever styles you want in there and know you're not affecting anything else. But the other thing is as well, I can pick up this element, throw it anywhere, and I'm not burying the code cost of those styles sitting around in some master style sheet. Uh, because the problem is that often gets out of date and then you kind of end up getting these, because you can't remove, like once you put a CSS selector in, good luck removing it. <laughs> Whereas this thing, you can just delete that, who cares? You don't even know it's going to affect this element. Yeah. <laughs> um, Binding some values into our, our template uh, and handling an event. So uh, in this case, uh, when we click on that order card, so internally, we've got our own click handler as well, right? Because we, we want this thing to essentially handle itself. So what it does, you've got this dispatch event, and that's how you get things out of your component. So you've got your attributes, put things into it. Um, you can kind of reflect those attributes, I guess. But Anyway, we ignore that. Um, so, you, what you want to do is you want to produce an event back up. So, what we're doing here um, is we're creating a custom event. So, like a, like a click event, like anything like that, you can just create an event, right, and just name it whatever the hell you want. So, what we're doing here is when you click on this component, it grabs some details about itself and emits a custom event saying, I've just been selected. And that's all that's doing, and I'm doing a little bit of generic typing in there, but... Um, don't necessarily need to do that. So that was our pizza card component. And that's that's really cool. Uh, I kind of like that component-based approach. So what do we do to connect the power of those tiny little elements, uh, web components, and link them back to our page class, which is kind of like our controller for that page? Um, so we've shown you can set an attribute on those elements. Forgive me while I keep losing the mouse. Again, because we're just doing everything natively, you can do the same thing here, right? I can go... Where's my pre-canned one? There we go. So I can just add an event lister and say, I want to listen to that custom event that's created by that element, the web component, and do something. So, anytime it's selected, I something happens. Ooh, looks like we got some debug going on. Anyway, um, so it's pretty easy to hook into, right? And pretty much anything could pick that up and handle it if you wanted to. Likewise, if you're getting getting really uh, crazy, you could put that component back into one of these biggest file frameworks if you wanted to. So. We've got kind of base event listening in our page class. We can emit events from our custom elements. I think you can kind of see where that's all going. Um, you can 
so our page files can listen to a, a web component, get something, can also put something into a web component uh, by sending its attribute. Uh, there's kind of one small piece missing, though, and that's um, talking about our state. So when we start getting beyond a smaller interaction, you've got the state of the UI. Now, we've been able to scope our state to a page, uh, but when you're in a single page app, uh, this is kind of one of the big detractors of it. You've got to try and keep your state in sync. So when I want to talk about state, I'm talking about a few things. It's kind of UI presentational state. So uh, say if you've got a menu and you click it, it's now open. That's just kind of a UI state. A lot of times you might use classes or things to kind of um, show that. But you've also got, uh, I guess, what you call your application state. And often you want that application state to be pretty much in sync with what's in, say, like your API and database, etc. Uh, when you've got a spa, those two things start to drift and you need to kind of get ways of managing that and updating your state um, because once you start drifting too far, uh, then that's when you're going to get these weird state logic problems um, and that can cause a lot of ash. So we're not going to go that far, right? We've just got a little, little page, so we've got that self-contained, but we still need to be able to say, okay, something changes, I need to propagate that change to other places. So what I've done is created a simple data-wide decorator. So this is the page class that sits behind that demo page that I showed you with the three pieces on it. Um, basically, uh, this one has state that's tied to components. So we define our, our page again. We've got that injectable decorator. I'll actually explain what that does um, in a second. Uh, we're going to query for our elements, but these this time our elements are actually web components, custom elements. So we've got hold of those things now. Um, the query all just says, give me all of them, so we get a list of them. So injectable, right? As an aside, we've got a DI framework going here, and that's just a small injection library, uh, injection.js. So that's really handy for being able to modularize things, right? So um, I talk about it kind of in my reflections, but we do this on the back end, why not do it on the front end? And those that have seen um, something like Angular, we are very familiar with it. So the other thing we do in here is we're handling that initial state setting. So um, I've just got a helper function there, but basically our Razor page is setting some state into a global value. This thing picks it up and pulls it back out. Really all there is to it. Um, we're also manually setting one of the components state just because, why not? So the next thing we want to do is have some state that we want to bind to. So we want to, anytime this thing changes, bind to it so that we know and we can propagate those changes. I've got a listener here, which you kind of saw before. This one is listening to that event which uh, I showed you. So um, anytime you click that piece of card, that event goes off. This thing here is listening to it as well and saying, oh yeah, I can capture that. And basically the uh, little decorator there just pumps the event into the arguments of that function. Um, ignore some of the syntax around that. But basically that, that allows us to handle that event coming out of the component. And then it's also setting the state. So we need to change our state. So if you click on one card, every other component there possibly needs to know about that state change, right? So that's where we've got something called watch. So, bind to a piece of data and we watch it. So, what the watch is saying is here is um, basically anytime that 
sees that that object changes, uh, then run this function and it passes in the new state as an argument. So um, just as a side, that bind is just a really simple uh, native element as well. There's proxies now in JS. So um, again, that's kind of just overriding get a set of type stuff. Um, so our state changes, we watch. So this function gets run. And what this is going to do is quickly go away and call our API. <laughs> um, and just make sure that this page is in sync with what our kind of source of truth is, our API. So we've got another watch on state as well. This time we just want to update all those components so that they know about the different state. And uh, what we're doing there is just, like I said, just sending the attribute directly saying, um, how many of these pieces have you ordered for this type? And again, we're just updating some updating some components because we know the state's changed. So what I was talking about before about DI, that's kind of what this helper does. We've just got an array of dependencies at the end when we instantiate our page, um, and then, then the injection container just handles that. Cool. So we've got a page there which is interrelating the state between various components and those components are going to essentially talk to each other through a one-way data flow. So that's our complexity. Um, only when we need to though, right? So got a got the use case for a mini app, app, some kind of uh, something in that region. So we now kind of have a good platform for actually orchestrating that. Um, and all we really need to do is actually just make one of those components a bit more complex. Um, and as they grow, they essentially be either become a mini app or an app. So the same kind of pattern holds. Um, so just as a reminder, architecture recording is there. Um, we've got our app and our mini app. Um, highly interactive client, uh, and might be in charge of things like routing, etc. Um, might make its own API calls. And then we've got a mini app, which is just a smaller self-contained app. Um, and like I mentioned, because we've got web components, we can start composing one of these bar. Um, but a spark could be any kind of technology at this point, because we're using pretty much uh, the primitives in the browser. We could we could decide for whatever reason we want to run a mini app in our Angular, a mini app in Vue, and a mini app in React on the same page. No dramas. We as long as we conform to that pattern on the boundaries, all good. So I've got a demo of this. Don't laugh because it's barely, barely an app. But it does show the pattern, right? So essentially this, this little selector up the top right um, is the component composing components. And just out of interest, it appears on the home page too. So. So, and this is the code behind this mini app, right? Um, I know I'm just kind of stretching it a little bit as to calling this an app, but again, I think the pattern holds. So, again, same as before, we create a web component custom element. This is it. You know, render method, again, looks very similar to before. We've got some uh, HTML in there. Um, but we've also got this thing where we want to get the order items. And what that's doing is that's returning an array of 
custom elements itself. So each of those, each of the Gorka items is in control of its own internal state, its own HTML, its own styles, its own layout, etc. Um, so you can kind of stretching a bit, but you can kind of see how you can start composing that into um, a larger bar. Uh, you, could, you can start bringing in routing frameworks, etc. if you wanted to, and I think you kind of move to the stage where your add element becomes an app element and you're kind of following the similar kind of pattern to a lot of the other Spire frameworks do. Um, but you could keep it agnostic like that, but you, uh, or you could use something with, like Angular. So just as a reminder, I need a, probably a, a better name for these, or some kind of quadruplet of boom or something, or like, if anyone can give it to me, cool. But basically, I've, I've got these kind of four, um, four architectures, and I've got a pattern which I think supports all of these, um, and it allows you to move anywhere between that scale, uh, between any of those architectures um, within the same app, um, and also you'd be able to you can migrate something from being a fully static page to a complete uh, spa app within the same pattern. So, I'm still thinking, uh, luckily, but I guess there's a few questions, and maybe maybe you have it, maybe you don't. But uh, one of them is kind of why 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 chase new tech? I think. Some of that comes back to um, answering problems which uh, are possibly kind of your expectation of what a product needs to be is a bit greater. Um, I also think it's actually just a lot of it is uh, we've had these kind of good patterns on the back end and we've known how to do things and they're fairly structured. Uh, I think a lot of that's just moving really into the front end as well. Um, I mean, you've got some really good engineering on our back end. Why not move those same principles to our front end as well? So uh, making things composable, uh, testable. So the other thing about the way we've got this pattern put together, it's quite loosely linked. So it's, it's easily if you if you want to unit test it to the nth degree, you can. Um, the value on that is questionable sometimes, um, for at least the, the front end, I find. Uh, but you know you've got <laughs> things like services, etc., which are really easy to mock and and uh, and test. Um, it's also really easy to trace the flow of something. Because we're using generally native stuff, we can just hook into it like I showed you in the browser. I'll throw in a, a debug reference in the globals to that page class when you want to. So it's not hard to kind of see where the data's flowing. We're also going the generally one-way direction data flow. So again, easy to reason about. Um, we're still getting that full page reload request that we would get on server side render. Um, I've got a few ways, I think, handling that a bit nicer with the UX because I don't like the, the jankiness between mine. But um, what that kind of does for us, it avoids a whole bunch of problems with keeping our state in sync. Um, and it also gives you a lot of good metrics for your users. So you take your, like your time to interactive, time to renders, um, your first paint, they're all going to be really good. Um, you're also able to do things like um, pre-render. So um, I can get, like for example, you can get an Angular app, pre-render the entire DOM of that app, spit it out to your user, and then that hydrates on the client side. You can do those things quite quite easily once you've kind of got the pattern where the server's controlling it. But I kind of do have, I guess, a question back, and that is a few things. Um, so that's more than one question. Uh, firstly, is there a better way? Give me a better solution. But I think, I guess, first before that is, uh, what do you think of the problem? Do you, do you think 
define it a problem, or is that just not a problem as far as um, getting complex UI built out as fast, um, pushing a server side render? I don't know. Just just what do you what do you think? Um, I, would you do it differently? So the implementation specifics I think could can change, but as a whole, I actually think that general pattern stands pretty good. So um, please heckle me later or in person if you vehemently disagree with that, because I'd like to know, right? Um, and this is my way of solving it. So again, like I said, bias, I'll go probably from a TypeScript direction more, but you can do this uh, from a C-sharp direction a bit, bit further if you wanted to. Um, and I guess just do it, create a repo on GitHub, throw it across. Um, does anyone have any questions about what I've been blabbing onto you for the past 15 minutes? Or was anyone upset that the confetti quota ran out? No? Didn't care? <laughs> All right, sweet. How That's long like did it take you to come up with this? The, the pattern? Yeah, you, you've sort of developed this over a number of years, or? Oh, no, no, months, 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 months. Uh, it, it, comes from, uh, it comes from reflecting back from people with more experience than me, and also a lot of the stuff that we've done as well uh, recently. So uh, it does come from kind of years of experience, um, and myself as well. But uh, the actual pattern itself, oh, I, started putting, I started putting something together in December, mucking around with it. So, uh, Pretty good. Yeah, good crack. So what's the benefit in your view of doing this versus just, say, using Vue with TypeScript? So I think, I think that the benefit is that that page class server divide, um, I think you could perfectly use Vue beyond that. So I guess it's more about the, the containing framework because um, I think it's quite nice and I think you, you can use view quite nicely just probably directly within a raised page if you wanted to. Uh, it's just using this way, I think you can kind of move between those four architectures quite well. Uh, when you're using something purely like view, um, you'll get a model of those, um, but I don't think your pattern will always be able to support all four. Not in the same repeatable pattern, like don't get me wrong, you could do it, no, no problems. And like, do you think more of terms of the server-side rendering static part of the scale? Yeah, yeah. So you, you could pre-render your view components, right? Like, yeah. um, yes. But uh, I think the other thing is as well, I'm trying to keep this flat as possible. And yeah, I was going to ask what you meant by flat. So, <laughs> um, so, so, like, if we create view's actually pretty good at I think avoiding this, but if you create a spar like Angular and you start the entire thing in Angular, what you end up is, um, or at least what I've ended up with, which is, is maybe you guys are better than me, so um, maybe you just don't even face it. Um, but anyway, you, you start building out from that base. So I've got Angular, I start building out, I start building these feature routes and feature modules, and I kind of build this big tree, and by that time, you've got this really large, you're essentially ending up with a big monolith anyway. Mm -hmm. So what I'm talking about is trying to avoid death by modularizing and componentizing outwards. It's not always going to be the case. You can't always do that. But um, ideally, everything is fairly flat in the case that, for instance, that page class doesn't do much. Um, it's just like if you, on the back end, you, know, you do that, right? You, you don't want to create a function that does like 50 things in one spot. Um, you try and modularize it out. Mm -hmm. Same way with here. So uh, each service does its own thing. So it's fairly flat, but you can compose those into a greater thing. So that's kind of like single responsibility principle. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, but also like making sure, um, making sure your your presentation, your templates, and styling is also following that approach. Mm -hmm. 
in a magical way. So just going back a step, at the start you're really saying this is really a vanilla approach, so you're not, so the stuff you're showing here isn't using any of those so frameworks. No, so everything's pure TypeScript, uh, the exception is that lit element that I showed you. Yeah. Uh, kind of cheating, but um, I think I think the general idea is pulling libraries as opposed to frameworks. Sometimes that like where the barrier is, but uh, yes, everything's vanilla. Yeah, that's sort of maybe that's a bit of a reflection of the state of the art browsers now. In fact, I do have a component. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 100%. And that's, I guess that's kind of the, the crux of what I'm trying to get at. Um, of that kind of deal. Uh, like, oh, we've got to do it in one of these. But I was like, well, hang on, maybe we don't. And how can I explore that? Um, but still try and, you know, have a cake and eat it too. Get all the benefits you can out of everything. But be pretty much vanilla. I mean, yeah, there could be a reason why I did choose one. Hmm, 100%. It's now more actually. Yes. If I make that choice, then do that in, in a strong way, but there's a reason why I choose. It's not just because I need to pick between any other reactive here. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to pick the wrong one. Next year, from the Yeah. And I mean, like, it's also, that's the ideal situation. You've also got your client obligations and you've got uh, resourcing and things like that. So, you know, it's all building well to... Um, I think, and that's something actually going back to vanilla, the other reason too. So it's all good and well to do something in whatever framework X, but there's only two people in Adelaide that do framework X. It can be a little bit tricky. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, if you're doing vanilla, most people should be able to get onto the vanilla part because it's the basis of all those things. But. And, um, whoop. I noticed that in your method you were embedding the styles in as well. Yeah, like yep. Um, so uh, there's actually a better way of doing that. Um, you can you can now construct a style sheet. There's a constructible style sheet object. Um, so you can kind of build, yeah, you know, half your battles just getting a build that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the side note, I've got that running in .NET Core in a watch with a webpack, yeah. and it all runs beautifully. Um, and but you know who wants to bang their head against the wall for a couple of hours at night to get a weapon? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you could incorporate that into that. So you've got a few few options to do that. Um, my being a dick about that, I did the same thing, but I migrated away from SAS to just use CSS variables. And uh, I found that beautiful because I found most of the things I use in SAS are actually CSS variables. Unless I'm using some like style framework thing that has all these bloody mix-ins and stuff, and I've got no idea what's going on. Um, yeah. So uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's interesting you bring up the point of those style frameworks. We often customers will go, "Yeah, I want it to kind of look like this website." And yeah. Um, that is going. Oh, gee, I wonder if they use semantic UI. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, well that means I need to bring in because they use, I don't know, it's... Yes. It's like a dependency tree of hell. Oh, you know, I've got this and, you know... Yeah. That's part of the... That's part of the fun, I guess. I think some of that 
like the ideal world, you actually just build everything like, oh, I can build it from the ground up. Yeah, like, that's yeah. not the case, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I think some of the cool thing about the components, if you're working in a larger environment, the ideal situation is you actually have a bit of a design language, and I can rip that element out and put it somewhere else. Again, that's always the rosy picture, and I don't know if that's really it. <laughs> but yeah, you can integrate those kind of things. This is all just using a base webpack build, so you could just parse it through SAS. Um, you could load a CSS, so we can do use a constructible style sheet to load a CSS, but then have that CSS compiled first. <laughs> um, I think there's a few ways you could do it, but it'd just be you know get into that config for a bit. <laughs> Yeah, trust it. Yeah, CSS variables are great. I love uh, so check it out, and you can compile them out for IE eleven, etc. Sorry. Yeah, so, so that's like knowing you, like two performance questions. Yep. Um, yeah, the first one you saw touched on is how do you deal? Like the great thing that I've noticed with the spars we're doing is there's always something on the page immediately. Yep. Right, and at least generally the right like form and shape, and then you know we sort of say, hey, this component's loading. Give yep. it a second. So how do you do with that? I guess you have to do with hydration and stuff. And the other one is like, relating to that, is have you had a look at like bundle sizes and obviously in a spy you can't write that initial bundle size, but then afterwards we've done some cool stuff with lazy loading and you can sort of hide that, yep. but like how are you, have you got a chance to look at what happens when you have a really complex uh, template that's gonna pull in all this TypeScript, because I assume you have to pull in all the TypeScript and push it all across at once. It's a, it's a JS bundle. Yeah. So um, you might be an answer. I know it's a small demo, but like, do you have an intuition on what that's going to look like? Because I know like, Angular is pretty like pretty big. The initial bundle is pretty big. So yeah. So the way I've, I've combated that is um, uh, ideally you want to render everything server side because that's pretty quick. So uh, what I've got is uh, basically got a tag helper which helps me um, helps me inline scripts or styles when I want to. So you, within your Razor page, you've actually got control of your layout and you can inline the styles and scripts. Um, so that's kind of one part. Um, you can either inline or bundle. The other part is because it's highly modular and you've got that page class and most things are vanilla, your bundle sizes are quite small. So you're not doing these uh, like 50 to 60 kilobyte loads just to get your framework in first before it bootstraps itself. Um, thirdly, because you've got this way and everything's quite small, you can pre-render or in the because it's so quick, you don't, you don't even need to pre-render. Like, uh, uh, I've, I've kind of tested it online, but you know, it's a bit of a it's a local host. There's nothing really that size, nothing, right? Um, but it's not. Did you notice any of those components? Well, you did actually, because I noticed it. But anyway, um, I think you've just like because it's kind of quite vanilla and you've got lots of control, you can do almost anything. Um, yeah, uh, the next step I was going to look at the skeletons for those components and how to implement that, etc. But um, yeah, I think I think you can do some cool stuff. You can create tag helpers, which is the other thing I was mucking around with, where um, you can do the trick where you uh, you know load content and then async append stuff, script tags and links or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think when the case of that becomes a problem, your toolkit to deal with it is, is immense. Whereas when you're in, uh, like you're mentioning, when you're in one of these frameworks, you're kind of locked into their architecture, and so you have to deal with it the way they do. In saying that, things like React and stuff handle it very, very well. So. Something? Roundabout answer? Does anyone else have any comments, heckles? Uh, no? Pretty done? Cool. All right. So, quick plug. 
myself, Matt over there, some other dude. Um, we run the front-end dev Adelaide meetup. So if you're vaguely interested in front-end stuff, uh, jump on the meetup. I'll piggyback off David sneakily and add some add the link there. Um, likewise, we run a meetup not as consistently consistently or well as David, so maybe we have a lower bar. So don't worry. Uh, but we do generally serve beers, so maybe like maybe even to self out to kind of the beers level the but anyway. Um, so yeah, jump on, we're on Twitter, maybe something else, I don't know. Um, lastly, again, love to hear any any ideas, anything related to this space, um, that you just like you're an idiot, why'd you do that? Or uh, that was possibly alright. Um, so, hit me up on any of those. Get the LinkedIn's on there as well, if you've 